We went to visit a friend of ours uh, one February, and when we walked into the, into the great room, there was a Christmas tree. And we said, you know, Christmas is over. And she said, well, the grandchildren might come. Well, yeah, the grandchildren might come, and they would say, Nana, have you lost your mind? <laughs> but she wanted to hang on to Christmas because she really loved Christmas, and she wanted to hang on to it just as long as she possibly could. I kind of feel the same way about, uh, about Easter. I want to hang on to it as long as I can. Because Easter is more than just a, a one Sunday holiday, something that you uh, acknowledge, celebrate, then pack up and store away with the Easter bunny and the plastic shells for the, for the Easter eggs. Jesus Christ suffered and died and rose from the dead for us so that we could have a different future, so that you and I could be transformed. And he did that in order to affect all of our life, every aspect of our life. So this morning, what I would like to do is talk about uh, one piece of our lives that probably affects a good share of the people who are here this morning. As many of you probably remember, uh, not too long after I got to Family of Christ, I had to step away because I had promised a young lady that I would do her wedding. Well, this wedding was a destination wedding on the top of Keystone, outside, on a ski slope, 11,660 feet up in March. <laughs> I accepted this wedding because I had known the bride since she was a toddler. But over the years, you know, I've thought a lot about weddings and about, uh, about marriage. And I've come to the conclusion that uh, the wedding day is the, is the fourth most important day in the life of a young couple. The first most important day, of course, is the day that they were born. If you're not born, not a whole lot happens after that. <laughs> the second most important day is the day that each one of them was baptized. Because baptism, when you come right down to it, really defines the person. Their sins were washed away. They were marked with the sign of the cross on forehead and on breast in token that they were redeemed by Christ our Lord. That's who they are. And the waters of baptism will continue to flow throughout their lives. The third most important day is the uh, day that, well, it's far in the future for a young couple. It's the day that they celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. 
And at that point, if they've been paying attention, they probably are beginning to get an inkling of what marriage really is all about. The fourth most important day, of course, was the reason why we were standing out there in the cold, freezing our anatomy, and the <laughs> pastor was worried about whether or not he was going to suddenly, in the midst of the ceremony, go sliding backwards down the mountain slope. Why is it that we have made the wedding really nothing more than a nice little ceremony and a scrap of paper. I ran across an interesting uh, statistic the other day. It said, in the case of an unexpected pregnancy, a couple is three times more likely simply to move in together than they are to get married. And maybe that says something about us and, and our society. St. Paul does a very interesting thing with the, uh, with the text for this morning. Could we go back to the scripture readings? See how good the texts are this morning. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. St. Paul does a very interesting thing. If you stop and think about it, Jesus Christ is central to St. Paul. You have to remember who St. Paul was. As Saul, that's the Hebrew form of his name, he was involved in the murder of Stephen. He persecuted Christians. In fact, when that incident on the road to Damascus took place, he was on the way to scout out Christians and arrest them. And what happened to him on that road to Damascus 
was not simply shattering, it was life-changing. It, cha it reversed his entire perspective on things. No longer was he pursuing Christians to persecute them, but as he said, I proclaim Christ and him crucified. And he took the cross beyond the bounds of the Jewish Messiah into the world of the Gentiles. Jesus Christ was central to St. Paul. And he saw it not only in terms of the reconciliation between humans and, uh, and their God, he saw it affecting every single aspect of life. Now, the St. Paul that you and I usually think about as a misogynist, a woman hater, uh, listen to what he does. With a, a single stroke of the pen, he makes Christ the center of the relationship between husband and wife. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is not a, a relationship of denomination. This is a relationship based on the model that Jesus Christ himself established in his relationship with the church. Well, what was Jesus' relationship with the church? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself out, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, who was God, emptied himself out, gave up everything for the sake of those people who were eventually become part of what we know as the church. And St. Paul, in our text for today, goes on to say that a husband leaves father and mother and cleaves, that's a good verb, cleaves to his wife, that he gives up everything so that they can come together as a married couple. What did Jesus do for the sake of the church? He gave his life. He suffered and died for the sake of the people who would become the church. And I guess if I were going to be true to St. Paul, when I'm doing a wedding service, in the vows I should turn to the groom and say, are you prepared to die for this sweet young chick standing next to you? Because that's the level, that's the level of commitment that St. Paul is talking about. In the, uh, 
in the little uh, agenda, uh, the Lutheran agenda that contains the uh, buried service as well as some other of the uh, occasional services and rites of the, of the church. Interestingly, the authors of the marriage service picked up on this idea that our relationship as husbands and wives should be modeled on that of uh, the Lord's relationship with the church. They said the marriage of husband and wife should attest to, give a witness to the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. I think if I were writing it, I would have switched it around and said the relationship of Jesus to the church is the model for the relationship of husband and wife. But then it goes on to say something else. The union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind is intended by God for their mutual joy, for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity, and when it is God's will for the procreation of children and their nurture and the knowledge and love of the Lord. Let's go back to the last screen. Go back one, there. Oh, because I really truly want you to look at the order of things in this sentence. The union of husband and wife and heart, body and, and mind is intended by God for what? What? For their mutual joy. That's where it starts. For their mutual joy. Then, for the help and comfort given one another in prosperity and adversity. And immediately in those words, you, you hear uh, all of uh, the pieces out of the traditional vows, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Those are parts of life. Going into a marriage, a couple should realize that they're going to face these things. And they should be prepared to celebrate with each other in good times and to be willing and able to comfort each other in the hard times. And you notice what's in third place. In third place it says, when it is God's will for the procreation of children and their nurture in the knowledge and love of the Lord. Reason why it puts that in third place is because after the children are gone and come back and gone again, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> husbands and wives are still together and still are there for each other. Now, what does this look like in a practical situation? Well, first of all, a married couple has to love each other. That's critical when you come right down to it. But down through the years, love, the nature of love changes. And so, I guess we'd have to say even more basic, they have to like each other. They have to be friends with each other. If they are going to really share 
enjoy. They also have to be patient with each other. Before I perform a wedding, I insist that uh, the couple take a test, a very extensive test, 155 questions. And if they're coming from different religious backgrounds, uh, an additional set of questions. And if they're living together, an additional set of questions. And if they are uh, bringing children into the marriage, an additional set of questions. Well, it's not really a test. I mean, as long as they score 70 or above. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it's, a, it's an instrument. And one of the questions is, does your future spouse have any behaviors or habits that irritate you? And the expected answer is yes. <laughs> Patience. Patience is a requirement for marriage. And even more important than patience is forgiveness. We sin against each other. We sin against those that we love most dearly. Probably the most important conversation in marriage is, I'm sorry, and I forgive you. And you notice forgiveness brings us right straight back to the model of Christ and his church. Jesus Christ suffered, died, rose from the dead in order that you and I might be forgiven. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is indeed the secret of marriage. Amen.